Hello and welcome to Storehouse 7 Ministries with me Chris Wicklands and we're carrying on with the book of Revelation. We're on chapter 21 and this is episode 2 of chapter 1 and we're looking at verse 5 today. Uh, Revelation 21 5 and then it reads, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. In the new heaven and new earth, God makes all things new again. The old earth and heaven was wrapped up and burnt in fire. When I say the heaven, I I don't necessarily mean the heaven where God resides, um, because I don't think that's what gets burnt up here. I think it's basically the the old heavens, as in the skies with the stars, etc. But that's what most commentators say anyway. So one can only imagine the joy, the beauty. Can you imagine it? The grandeur of what creation looks like when it is made brand spanking new with no curse or sin of man upon it. It must be truly magnificent to behold. And it's interesting to note that God states these words are true and faithful for this is the very title of God himself or one of his many titles, should we say. So Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. It should be no surprise to us that the word of God is as good and guaranteed as the one who spoke it. Satan is a liar, and everything he says is a lie. God, however, by his nature, is faithful and true, and therefore his word reflects his own nature, which is faithful and true. Therefore, God's word is reliable. It can be trusted. It can be believed with absolute confidence. Revelation 21.6 And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now here we have a powerful opening statement in this verse. It is done or it is finished. And We've heard these words before, haven't we? When Jesus finally paid the price to ransom mankind when he was dying on the cross. He paid the price to satisfy the wrath of the Father, to satisfy payment for God's justice and holiness. Jesus at that moment also made a new way, the one new man, the new creation to enable those who believe in Christ to be transformed into the image of the second Adam, which is Christ, who is very God. For more on that, see John 19.30, Colossians 1.14, Romans 3.27, Ephesians 2.11-22, 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 1 Corinthians 15.45. Now, when Jesus states it is done or it is finished, he is referring to the absolute and final completion of his plan of salvation to mankind, which starts in the Garden of Eden and ends in the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, some might think, well, how did it start in the Garden of Eden? Because obviously when man fell, he then provided them with animal skins to clothe them. And some commentators say that when they were covered or the word cover and atonement are very similar. So when they were covered in animal skins, it's a form of atonement, and an animal had to be sacrificed to give its skin to cover Adam and Eve. Are you with me? Um, 
So this is why Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And this illustrates God's ultimate plan of redemption from start to finish. The A to Z, or if you're American, the A to Z. God's plan starts from the opening verse of Genesis 1-1 and comes to finality in Revelation 22-21. And this whole thing was planned before the earth even came into existence. So that may seem quite a large sweeping statement, but let's have a look at some scriptures which hint to this. Uh, Revelation 13, 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names were not written in the book of life of the Lamb, who was slain from the foundation of the world. Some translations say slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, so that's from the King James Version there. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. As we can see clearly in these two verses, and there are others, Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and perfecter of our faith, had it all planned out before a single foundation stone in the earth had even been laid. And yes, that will raise many questions. But this is a mystery, a sign and a wonder. So instead of questioning God and his plans, why not marvel and appreciate its wonder and glory in its brilliance and be thankful that you're a part of that salvation plan. Revelation 21, 6, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. So what is the spring of the water of life? Well, this idea is mentioned so many times in scripture that it would be beyond a mere metaphor for salvation and the Holy Spirit, just as the tree of life is not just wisdom, but also is a literal tree in heaven and on the earth. See Genesis 2, 8-9, Proverbs 3.18, Proverbs 11.30, Proverbs 13.12, Proverbs 15.4, Revelation 2.7, Revelation 22, verse 2, uh, 14 and 19. And also in the Catholic uh, and Orthodox Bible and all Greek versions of the Septuagint, it's also mentioned in 2nd Esdras 2.12 and chapter 8 verse 52 now let's look at some references so that was all referent referring to the tree of life i believe so let's look at some references to this water of life proverbs 18:4 the words of a man's mouth are deep waters the fountain of wisdom is a bumbling brook psalm 110:7 he will drink from the brook by the wayside therefore he will lift up his head isaiah 12:3 therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation Revelation 22 verses 1 to 2, then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree uh, were for the healing of the nations. John 7:38. he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Psalm 36, verse 8, they feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of delights. So from these passages, we can deduce that the water of life, the well or spring of salvation, 
seems to be a literal river in heaven, but also a metaphor for salvation, uh, which we have received through Christ and the infilling of his Holy Spirit. In the new heaven and new earth, the water seems to literally have life-giving properties. But this is all, again, a mystery, which will be the joy of all the believers to perceive and understand when God makes the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21 verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Here God is addressing all the saints in history before the return of Christ to preserve, to endure, to look forward to the inheritance and promise to come, to not give up or quit, but to look to the day when we all finally get to be with God. Let this verse be an encouragement to all who hear and read this series. Let's read that verse again. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. And I'll just repeat this because I'm not sure you might have got this, but here God is addressing all the saints in all history before obviously the return of Christ. Okay, so all of history, right from the beginning of days to the end of days of all those who believe in God by faith. Okay, um, including those of the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. And so this verse has given us as a wonderful promise to not give up or quit, but to look to the day when we all finally get to be with God. You know, let this verse be an encouragement to all who hear and read this series. Because, you know, <coughs> excuse me, life can be really sad. It can be tough and it can be difficult at times. But in that valley of the shadow of death, remember, God is with you for he will never fail or forsake you. In those places of despair, reach out to Jesus, ask him to help you and meditate, ponder and thank him in faith for the reward and the inheritance that awaits beyond the veil of death. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up hope. God will come through. Revelation 21 verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I don't believe verse 8 is a threat to the believer. Rather, it is in contrast to the previous verse, which is encouraging believers to persevere because of the great rewards that lie ahead. This verse is showing in contrast the reward of the wicked, the unbeliever, and their eternal reward. So let's unpack this list and give a deeper definition of each word. The NASB lists the first kind of unbeliever as a coward. In the Greek, it denotes one who is full of fear and always afraid. And this is in stark contrast to Jesus, who warns us not to be afraid, but have faith. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Mark 5.36 But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. Remember, fear is perverted or inverted faith. Fear is where we have more faith in something which can harm us than in God who can save us. That is not to say a Christian shouldn't be afraid ever. Rather, the Christian should control fear with the hope and faith in God that he will deliver them. Even in the moment of death, we can be afraid. But at that moment, the Christian should remember and take consolation that a new life in heaven begins past the veil of death. Have hope, take courage and have faith. You know, I don't think anyone who's about to be martyred for their faith and know, knows it's coming 
is going to be comfortable with that fact. They may be in trepidation. They may be frightened of what's coming because they don't want the pain, etc. Yet it's the hope within them that gives them the strength to endure. The next uh, word in verse 8 is unbelieving or untrustworthy. Unbelief, untrustworthy, faithless or one without faith in God is truly not pleasing to God. God has made his existence clear to all through his creations, through his creation rather. See Romans 1 verse 20. Jesus often rebuked his disciples for their lack of faith because it grieves God's heart when we have no faith in him or do not trust him. We shouldn't be like those who do not know God. We should be a people of faith. Again, the contrast between a believer in God and an unbeliever is a strong and stark contrast. True unbelievers often mock and scoff at believers for their faith in God. The end of verse 8 of Revelation 28 talks about the second death and the lake of fire. So briefly, what is the second death and the lake of fire? Now, if you remember in Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6, it mentions the two resurrections. The first resurrection takes place at Christ's return, where he ushers in the millennial age. And this is the resurrection of the saints. See also 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. However, there is a second resurrection at the end of the millennial reign, which is the resurrection of the damned, and they will suffer the ultimate death. They will be raised up from Sheol, a.k.a. Hades, and they will be judged, then thrown alive in their new bodies into the lake of fire where they will burn forever. To have bodies that will stay alive forever denotes they are resurrected in a way that they cannot die, ever. So now are locked away with no hope of ever escaping and being tortured with hellfire forever and ever and ever. Quite frankly, I find it hard to even imagine or write or speak about such torments. I mean, as I'm saying it now, it's making me well with tears. You know, thank God for Jesus is all I can say here. These people in the second death, although now immortal, will be raised in their sinful state, not a glorified state as the saints in the first resurrection. Anyway, I hope that will do it. Uh, do you for now and until next time we're fast concluding this series well I wouldn't say fast it's taken a long time two and a half years I believe uh, but we're getting there so but thank you for joining me with me on this journey and I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, part three of this chapter will be coming soon until then God bless you all bye bye